I am, will share with you this morning is one I actually gave on Sunday night a few weeks back on poverty, something I'd been thinking about and I thought it worthwhile repeating because I want to start a conversation in our church about poverty and what, how we respond to it. So let's pray as we come to look at God's word. <coughs> Father, help us to hear the multitude voices in your word as they speak to this issue of poverty and give us wisdom going forward, Lord, to know what we can do in our church family in a world where so many people live in poverty. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Australian Baptist World Aid, which I think is quite a good organisation, we ask people to give to it every Christmas, has a logo like this. And um, be love and poverty. Which is great, isn't it? Be love and poverty. There's lots of talking about ending poverty, but really... Do you think you can end poverty? Does Australian Baptist World Aid think that they can end poverty? In John chapter 12, Mary, of Mary and Martha fame, anoints Jesus with the most expensive perfume. It's not long before his crucifixion and Judas is horrified. You you could have taken all that money for that and you could have given it to the poor. Judas actually wanted to lie in his own pockets, but that's another story. But he says you could have given that to the poor. And Jesus says, just leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. The same story is repeated in Mark's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel in a different form, perhaps a different context. You'll always have the poor among you, so why bother working to end poverty? You know, the the reality is that despite many efforts at equalisation of wealth in our world, some of them quite radical, they have all been an abject failure perhaps leading to more trouble than they started. And aid is incredibly difficult. It's hindered by laziness and corruption and systemic failures. And you know, there's also that famous Bible verse, you may have heard it, God helps those who help themselves. Actually, that's nowhere in the Bible. But you get the idea, don't you? God helps those people who help themselves. So what are we doing helping people who aren't prepared to help themselves? And yet we have this basic desire in, I think, all of us to do good. Some sort of drive, some sort of motivation. We want to help. We want to end poverty. It makes us sad to see pictures of people who are living in abject poverty, particularly in abject poverty in our world. We don't see much of it. But it is real. And it's terrible. This desire to do good is actually captured in our recent church vision. As part of being a fruitful church, we continue to be generous supporters of Christian ministry and good works outside our direct sphere of influence. 
In recent years we have significantly increased our financial giving, prayer support and practical encouragement towards overseas and local mission activities and in ministry amongst the poor and vulnerable. We want to do more. One of our direct goals that that have come out of that vision statement, we want to grow in our compassion for the poor and vulnerable. In other words, we wanted this to be expressed in at least one, even just one committed undertaking of Pennant Hills Baptist Church to care for those who are poor and vulnerable. But let me ask again, why would we bother? There is so much need. Anything we do, even as a church, even together, it will just be a drop in the ocean. And, and what about people's spiritual needs? Oh, that's what we're, isn't that what churches are about, spiritual things, not physical things? Isn't caring for people's poverty, isn't that a distraction? Won't that lead to a sense of mission drift? In fact, we can help the poor and pat ourselves on the back and feel good about ourselves as we affirm our superiority as wealthy people when we're in fact helping nobody long term. This says no change because people need Jesus. That's our priority. And how do you help them? Do you just give money and forget about it? Well, what I want to do, they're good questions, I hope, but what I want to do is share some of my learnings and my thinking on this thing. And as I said before, I want us to start a conversation. What can we do to meet this vision goal, to help those who are poor and vulnerable? One of the big questions is, what is poverty? Well, you know what poverty is. I've been talking about it. You know what it is. You see it. People are poor. Do you know what poverty is? We watched those videos earlier. One was from uh, Tear Fund. It tended to emphasise that poverty is separation. The first part of that was from the organisation Compassion, which tended to suggest that poverty was this sense of hopelessness. If you go online and you look at what is poverty, you will see zoodles of different ways of thinking about poverty. The International Bank, the research I looked at, said $2.50 American a day. The Compassion thing said $2 a day. don't think it matters. If you're earning less than $2.50 a day, goodness me, then you are poor by international bank standards. The Smith family, they had a definition that said take the mean income, not the average, but the mean, so 50% of the people, and then halve that income and anybody living below that is living in Australia in poverty and that ends up being about 13% of Australians living in poverty as of 2001 when these numbers I got were... 13% of Aussies live in poverty. Is that right? What about, I I was a Bible college student. There are very few people in Australia who are poorer than Bible college students, often with families, next to no income, definitely less than half of the median income, possibly paying fees, probably paying fees. They're poor people. But let me tell you, I've lived with Bible college students. They are not poor. They sleep in dry beds under a war in a warm bed under a dry roof with plenty of food on their table and their children laugh and they're clothed and they've got healthy relationships by and large. Some of them are a bit messed up. We're all a bit messed up. But, 
But on the whole, Bible college students are some of the wealthiest people I've ever known. They've got it all. But statistically, they live in poverty. What about the people in slums or, or refugee camps? Surely they live in poverty, but if they've got food and shelter and healthy relationships and purpose, I don't know if they all do live in poverty. So how do we define this beast of poverty? Well, what I want to do is look at the book of Proverbs, which is sprinkled wisdom all through it, because it says a lot about poverty. I'm going to slip my glasses down so I can read the screen nice and clearly. Key idea, this verse here, Proverbs 10, 15, 13, 15. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. Poverty is, in a sense, ruination. It's that loss, it's that being vulnerable and empty and hopelessness of life. And it's far more than material. Poverty often comes through, as Proverbs says, injustice. So here we are. A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away and it happens. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. Look at that last one. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Poverty in our world so often comes through blatant injustice. The rich manipulating and using the poor for their own wealth. It's a terrible, terrible thing. It's never good. But that's not the only way poverty can come. Poverty, this is not so politically correct, but poverty can come through our own foolish choices. And Proverbs says this over and over again. Lazy hands make a man poor. But diligent hands bring wealth. Do not love sleep or you will grow poor. Stay awake and you will be food for the, and there will be food to spare. Do not join with those who drink too much or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor. It's true. You've seen it. And drowsiness clothes them in rags. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? This is me this morning. When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. And there are many, many more verses in Proverbs about poverty being the result of our own foolishness and laziness and pursuit of indulgence. And it's true. But I think there's an even greater cause of poverty and that is Hard-heartedness, the outworkings of sin and rebellion. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. This is meanness. If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. 
He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them, whose heart of heart receives many curses. And so it goes on. You know what happens with this hardness of heart when it becomes systemic? We call it corruption. When everybody in society is hardening their hearts and looking after themselves and trying to use and abuse others, and who wins with corruption? Nobody. Everybody becomes poor as everybody hardens their heart. It's a major cause of poverty. Hardness of heart. And if you are a mean, stingy person, you will not be wealthy. You will be poor. And it infiltrates the whole of society, this hardness of heart, when it is left to run. But either way, however poverty comes, whether it's through your own foolishness, whether it's through injustice of others, whether it's systemic hardness of heart in society, it leads to ruination. And it's an evil. It is not good. And it impacts the ent- your entire life. See, poverty at heart ends up being relational. So, Proverbs again. The poor are shunned even by their neighbours. But the rich have many friends. It's true. Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friends desert him. A poor man is shunned by all of his relatives. How much more do his friends avoid him? It's hard to be poor. It leads to a ruination of life, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of separation as those videos suggested. You've got nothing to live for and no one to live for and life is just gone, hopeless. No one wants to be with you because you're poor. And uh, here's a challenge. Can you see the difference between our Western mentality and the mentality here of Proverbs? Because our Western mentality says you need to be rich so that you can be autonomous and you can be independent, needing nobody. Proverbs suggests no, real wealth comes when you're in healthy relationships. When you're interdependent. When you're in community. Together, wealthy. Together, healthy. Very different to our Western mindset of what it means to alleviate poverty. If we can just give them the opportunity to make their own choices and chart their own way in the world, then they'll be wealthy. What a lot of bollocks. If we can just give them opportunity to be healthily in community, interdependent, hallelujah, that is alleviation of real poverty. When people find relationship, find community, find hope. But there are worse things. The other thing about Proverbs, there are many, many worse things. There's much worse things than material poverty. You think you don't want to be poor? Well, this is what you don't want. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a rich man whose ways are perverse. Better a poor man whose walk is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be a poor than a liar. A rich man may be wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has discernment sees through him. You fool. 
A rich man's a man's riches may ransom his life, but a poor man hears no threat. Isn't it true? You become wealthy and you're ransomed. But a poor man doesn't feel that threat. How terrible to be wealthy and ransomed. And so it is that spiritual poverty almost always ends up working itself out in material poverty eventually. And it should not be so because poverty is not good. And we're all equal. We're all made in the image of God. In fact, Proverbs tells us that rich and poor alike have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of them both. Whoever you can think of that is poor in our society, overseas, they're no better or no worse than you are in your wealth. We're all made in the image of God. And to come out of poverty, which is a good thing, means to come out of this sense of ruination and to be restored to the fullness of our humanity as people made in the image of God. And so... It is good to resist injustice which leads to poverty. We must. It's good to stop that slide. It is good to feed those and care for those who do not have food and clothing and shelter. It's good to provide relationship for those who have been abandoned. It's good even to have compassion for those who are hard of heart, who are corrupt who are destitute and lazy and foolish and drunkards and gluttons and gamblers. It's good to have compassion for the poor and to offer hope for those who are spiritually poor so that they may find restoration of relationship with God because it's all about relationship essentially, having a healthy relationship with God, with yourself, with others and with the whole of creation. To come out of poverty is to restore a relationship with God, with self, with others and with the whole of creation. It's good to work for the environment when it's destroyed, when it's poor. It's part of the restoration that God seeks to bring. All through Proverbs, there's many verses I could have put up for this, It is good to care for the poor. He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward him for what he has done. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. This is just a sample from Proverbs. Don't tell me it's not good to care for the poor because you're telling me what is contrary to the word of God. And it's good for yourself. It's good for your society. We often talk about holistic health. You know, you go and see the doctor or some other medical professional 
And it's not just the sore knee, it's not just the fact that I've got symptoms and maybe a disease. I want to be fully healthy in myself and my being, in my approach to life. Holistic health. You know, when we often talk about wealth, holistic health, I want us to talk about holistic wealth. It's not just how many dollars you've got in your bank account. Wealth is a much, much, much bigger concept and poverty is the reduction of a much, much more than just money in the pocket. Do we need to care for the poor? Well, do you care whether God's image is restored in people made in his image? Do you care for God's creation? If you are to emulate the character of God, then you will. The passage we, Alan read for us earlier, Deuteronomy chapter 10, beautiful passage, talks about the nature of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees I am giving you today for your own good. God is worth following. It goes on to say, out of all the earth, Israel, he chose you to be his people. Therefore, verse 16, circumcise your hearts and do not be stiff-necked any longer for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He is just. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and he loves the alien giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. They are to love not just those in their community, they are to feed and clothe even the alien amongst them, the foreigner, the outsider. And the motivation as it goes on there is because, do you know who you are? You are a people who was rescued out of poverty. You were slaves in Egypt. You were faced with a life of absolute ruination. And God took you and he delivered you and he called you to himself and he has now blessed you. Therefore, you must bless others. You must be like he has been to you in your response to others. To care for the poor is just simply to follow Jesus on his mission. Towards the start of his ministry, as, as it's recorded in Luke chapter 4, Jesus goes into a synagogue and he takes out the scroll that's there and he opens to the prophet Isaiah and he starts to read. And it says, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and said, Today, this is fulfilled in your presence. This is my mission, to preach good news to the poor. This is basic Christian living. Paul was raising gifts for the poor struck by famine in Jerusalem in, in, in the area of Greece to the church in Corinth and he writes to them. As part of his fundraising, we had a bit of a fundraising appeal earlier 
in our service. Well, this is Paul's comment during his fundraising appeal. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That you might be restored to the image of God, that his bounty might be for my need. We must be like Jesus. We must be like God. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches, love your enemies. Now, if you love your enemies, shouldn't you love the poor? And he goes on to say, give to the poor. And when you give to the poor, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing because you just do it naturally as my followers. You've got to do this. Paul writes to the Galatians, remember the poor which is what I'm eager to do. In chapter 6 he writes, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, particularly those of the household of faith. Let us do good. Should we show care for the poor? Yes, we must. It must be a priority because in doing so, we display the nature and character of the God we serve. It shows what God is like. So how then do we give to the poor? Because it's a big question. We must be like God. But there's so much need and there's lots of options and different priorities. Do you prioritise proximity? Like the poor just across the road or your neighbour? Or do you prioritise need? That's a big question for us in wealthy Australia. The poor in Africa, the poor in India the poor in Central Asia, some of whom are in abject. Do we prioritise refugees in camps who have fled Syria? I want to leave you just three pointers. Not the last word, but just three things. How do we care for the poor? Firstly, we should care for the poor, you should care for the poor, as you have opportunity. As you encounter poverty, there is your calling. James writes in James chapter 2, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man comes in shabby clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those he loves him? So often the poor are rich in faith and we're not because we don't need to be. But you have insulted the poor. It is not the rich who are exploiting you. As you have opportunity... Care for the poor amongst you. 1 Corinthians 11, the passage we often use to refer to the Lord's Supper. The Corinthians are meeting together to have a meal, but the wealthy people, the ones who are bringing all the food just like we're about to do, are saying to the poor people, don't eat our food. We bought this food. And it's causing all this stress and Paul's aghast. As you have opportunity, I don't care who bought the food, you're sharing a family meal together. 
Don't reject the poor. And to be poor is far more than just to be materially poor. You know who many of the poor are in our society? It's the elderly. Our elderly are isolated, their relationships are broken down, their capacity to do things is reduced and we shut them away very, very often. Oh, they've got food and shelter and a warm bed, but their life becomes a form of ruination so often. What about the infirm and the disabled? What about those who are chronically ill? Are we working to see them restored? Are we helping them have the strength to be fully human so that they are in good relationships with God, with themselves, with others and with the world? But it's not just those that we encounter, that's a high priority. But secondly, we can work together as a church to help alleviate poverty. We see this in the scriptures as Paul gets the churches in Asia Minor and Greece to give funds for the poor in Jerusalem. The church is working together as a united body to help alleviate poverty. And we do this as a church. We had the presentation on Jeff and Beth this morning. Jeff and Beth are trying to set up a goat farm in an impoverished area amongst particularly impoverished people in Central Asia. That they might have the strength to be human, that they might have healthier relationships and have more purpose and direction to alleviate poverty. As, they, as Jeff and Beth also share Jesus. We do this with VetNet in Mongolia who help provide veterinary care so poor herders living messy lives in remote areas, can find more hope and community and purpose and even material wealth through their flocks, more regular food. We do this as we support as a church prison fellowship. Prisoners are some of the poorest people in our society because their life is ruination. They've got a warm bed and they've got shelter, but their lives are a complete destruction. Their relationships are completely broken down. They are separated. And they are poor. We hope to increase our ministry to the poor as we've stated in our vision. To have one really intentional ministry where we support the poor and vulnerable. What's that going to be? I don't know. Third aspect. How do you help the poor? Well, through the church as we exercise our gifts, the ones we've been given. See, we have all the gifts we need as a church. God's provided everything we need. There's a number of lists in the New Testament of gifts for the church. One of them is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'd just like to read this list of gifts. From verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. You get the list of a potential, not a complete list. You've got these great word-based teaching gifts. You've got these power gifts of miracles and healings. And hidden amongst them, I don't know if you heard it, was the gift of helping others. 
That word only turns up in the New Testament once. It's not used often in ancient Greek. And so people debate about what that means. There was, however, a preacher named John Chrysostom. Golden Mouth, his name meant. He lived in Constantinople and was a, a, a famous preacher and many of his sermons were written down and have been preserved through history. Chrysostom, there's a sermon on this passage from 1 Corinthians. And he says that this helping word is actually to support the weak, to care for the poor. Now he was pretty good at Greek because that's what he spoke all the time. And he said it was caring for the poor, supporting the weak, having mercy. So I think there is fair to say there is actually a spiritual gift called care for the poor. Not all have this gift. Not all are apostles or prophets or workers of miracles, but some have the gift of care for the poor. And as the body does its work, those with the gift of care for the poor, poor, they need to exercise their gift for the body so that people might be reconciled and restored to the image of God. Now who in this body has the gift of care for the poor? that burden, that compassion, that capacity to be open and non-judgmental and present. Perhaps you. And if so, we need you to play your part. And if you're not playing your part, you're dishonouring God's church, the body of Christ. And if you're not exercising your gift, I'd like you to help us all to fulfil our vision to minister amongst the poor and vulnerable. I would love to see us form a group. Let's call it a subcommittee of interested people who get together and say our church has a passion to have at least one deeply committed ministry amongst the poor and vulnerable. What's it going to be? What is God calling this body to? Is it going to be overseas? Is it going to be local? Maybe we'll have more than one. One local, one overseas. I don't know. But we need people with the gift of helping the poor to step up and lead our church in this. If you're interested, can I encourage you to read this book? I'm two-thirds of the way through it. When Helping Hurts by, what's your name? Corbett and Fickert. I was given it by Jeremy. It's a very good book. It'll challenge you because you can actually hurt people just by giving them money or just by coming in as God and saying, I know what you need. I'd encourage you, if you're interested, get that book and read it. It's very good. See, our responsibility as a body of Christ is to care for the poor. It's not negotiable. But, but, but remember Jesus said what I started with, there will be poor always. And let me ask again, what about the greatest poverty, which really is the greatest poverty, which is spiritual poverty from which all other poverty flows? Why don't we just evangelise? Why don't we just tell people about Jesus if we want them restored to the image of God, to have the strength to be human? What about the danger of mission drift so that we end up just doing poor things and we never tell anyone about Jesus? I've heard that argued. 
And I can't help thinking that that argument is a complete misunderstanding of the nature of evangelism and mission and how God wants his glory revealed in the world. It's a complete misunderstanding and it doesn't work. People come to know Jesus as they hear the gospel message through instruments proclaiming redemption with the fullness of their being, not just with their lips. And look, I hope I've argued today that it's just non-negotiable. God cares for the poor, we have to do the same. You know, even those words of Jesus can be misconstrued. Jesus said there's going to be poor always. Don't worry about them. He said that in the context of saying, I'm here now and I'm soon going. Now is the time for my glory. But it's interesting when he used that phrase, did you know he actually quoted from the Old Testament? And I want us in closing to go back to the passage that Jesus quoted from when he said to everybody after being anointed with expensive oil, there will be poor with you always. Now I'm just going to read the passage Jesus quotes from. You listen and see if you're smart enough to get the overall theme of this passage. Okay? Got the task? I'll read the passage Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 15. We're all going to listen and say, what's he talking about? What's that passage actually talking about? Listen up. Verse 7. If there is a poor man among your brothers, in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Rather be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. Hmm, I wonder what that's all about. Verse 10. Give generously to him and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-hearted towards your brothers and towards the poor and needy in your land. Does anybody know what that passage was about? I know what it was about. It was saying there's always going to be poor people amongst you, so don't worry, just preach the gospel. Did anybody come to that conclusion? If you did, you didn't listen very well. There will always be poor. You'll always be surrounded by them. So by geez, get busy caring for them, revealing the nature and the character of God as you hold forth the word of life so that they may be restored to what God made them to be. Restored to relationship with God. That the image of God in Christ might be manifest amongst them. Restored to wholeness with new hearts, with new circumstances, with new creativity and purpose and hope and community and belonging and wealth, true wealth, 
the wealth God made us for, not the wealth our greedy hearts pursue. So let's work to end poverty. And as I say, what I want to do today is just start a conversation. What are we going to do, people? Where is God going to take us? Are we going to get excited about it like we got excited about paying off a building loan? We're going to get excited that people might come to the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus and the fullness and wholeness of life and be brought out of poverty. We're going to get excited about these things. Well, the people in northwest Sydney just not bother because we're too busy getting wealthy. Let me pray.